just reading ahead uh, so that you've read chapter 11 leading up to today. If you don't have this book, if you haven't been here before and you think, well, I'm, 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 I'm joining in uh, part 11, don't feel like you're coming in too late because we're going to try uh, on a periodic basis to catch you up on what's happened. And also there's a... Uh, there's a reading guide in your worship program on the back. And so if you haven't been, if you don't have that book, if you're not keeping up with us, you can keep up with us in the scripture, in your Bible, because really the story is just the Bible. So as a church, we are going through uh, 31 weeks this year. We're going through the entire story of the Bible. And it's been really great uh, to see people uh, reading along with us, being engaged, uh, connection groups that are meeting and talking about this. And I've just heard all kinds of great stories about uh, what's happening in our groups and with you guys over the week as you're reading with us and, and studying this with us. And so we're really glad for that. But in case you haven't been with us, if you're new, uh, maybe you just came for intro to Genesis after you want some free pizza or whatever, I, we're glad you're here. Uh, but let's just review where we've been so far. So that we've been through 10 weeks so far, and we started in the beginning, where every good story starts. In the beginning, we know that God created the heavens and the earth, and God created everything on the earth. But there was one thing that he created differently from everything else. There was one thing that was different from all the plants and all the animals and all the mountains and all the oceans, and that was us, you and me. He, he created people, and, and it's the only thing that the Bible says that God breathed life into. You know, and so we're different, and we were made to be in his image, and God created us so that we could be in community, in communion with him. But like we're prone to do, the very first people messed up. And so while God had created this beautiful garden, this place where he could be in communion with people, uh, the first people messed up, and they got kicked out. But, but the great thing about God is that he never stopped pursuing us. And, and he continues that even today. And so from the very beginning, even though the people got kicked out of the garden, like God started this plan in place to help us find our way back to him. And, and throughout the, the 10 weeks of this series, what we've talked about is a, a bunch of people that God has used and raised up at the right time uh, to help him in that conquest. And so he raised up a man by the name of Abraham. Uh, who he said would, he would build a great nation out of. And the only problem was that Abraham didn't have any kids at the time. Uh, but God said, you'll have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. And we saw how that happened. And then uh, God raised up a man by the name of Joseph at a time, actually a young man, a, a kid, a teenager by the name of Joseph, at a time when uh, the nation of Israel was in the middle of a famine. And Joseph, even though he was in prison, uh, earned his way to be the second in command over all of Egypt and preserved the nation of Israel um, through that time. And then uh, God raised up a man named Moses. As the Israelites were in Egypt under Joseph, they were there on friendly terms, but they became slaves. And then God raised up a man named Moses to lead them in an exodus out of Egypt and into the promised land, only they didn't go right to the promised land. They went from uh, slavery to wandering in the desert for 40 years. And then they reached the promised land, this land we call the promised land because God had promised it to Abraham many hundreds of years ago, and they reached it. And then in the last few weeks, we've heard these stories about uh, a young woman by the name of Ruth and, and how uh, she uh, came with her. She was loyal to her mother-in-law. She came back to uh, Israel, to a town called Bethlehem with her mother-in-law and, and met a man named Boaz and how Boaz redeemed that family and redeemed that land. And then we talked about last week, if you were here, a man by the name of Samuel, who was a prophet of God. And he appointed, uh, appointed the first king of Israel, a man by the name of Saul. And that, well, quite frankly, that didn't work out very well. And so today, that brings us to a new king. And this king is going to be better. 
And this is King David, okay? Uh, and, and David was the second king of Israel, but his legacy is much different than Saul's. Now, what have we seen over and over again as we've gone through the story? Well, I think the theme, the one thing that we've seen continuously is this. Our God is much bigger than we realize. Like as we read through this story and we see uh, impossible situation after impossible situation. You know, we see people put in these, in these situations where we think there's no way they can get out. Uh, this is certainly the end, but what we see how big and how great God really is. That, and that matters, okay? And especially when you're looking at something in your life and you want to say, you know, it's too late. God says, well, not yet. It's not too late. I'm about to do some of my very best work. I mean, think about this. Jewish tradition tells us that Boaz was 80 years old when he married a 40-year-old Ruth. And we know that Abraham was 100 before he had his son Isaac. And so if you think it's too late for you, God's saying it's not too late for you. Or maybe we looked at people, look at people that are so messed up. Maybe they're too messed up to fix. And, and, and we think, well, they're beyond hope. But God says, you might be surprised. Like, watch how I turn their life around and use them uh, to make a difference. Use them to change things. You know, that's the person I'm going to use to change the world. I mean, Joseph was a prisoner. Moses was a murderer. But God used them uh, in his story in mighty ways. Now, as we've studied the story together... I think the one thing that we've learned is that God wants to do more than I think he does. Like, he can do more than we realize. He can do more than we imagine, Scripture says. And he's, he's bigger than we think he is. And so this week, we're in chapter 11 of the story. We are going to talk about David. Uh, we're going to talk about the story of David and Goliath. And, and if you're here, even if you're not a Christian, even if you've never been to church, you know the story of David and Goliath because you hear it every year, like during the NCAA tournament, for instance. You know, there's a, whenever a 14 seed beats a three seed, uh, that's a David and Goliath story, right? Well, I think we've been looking at this story all wrong. I know as I reread it for a couple times over the last couple weeks, I realized that my entire life, everything I thought I knew about David and Goliath was wrong. I'm sorry about this microphone. Everything I thought I knew about David and Goliath was wrong. I've been looking at this story all wrong. And I'll tell you what I mean by that a little bit later. But first, I want to go through the story. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to start in 1 Samuel 17. Um, obviously, we're in chapter 11 of the story. But the story begins with a battle. And it's a battle between two nations, okay? The Philistines are on one side, and the nation of Israel is on the other side. And between the two of them, there's this large valley, okay? And this valley is called the Valley of Elah. And so if you picture this... An army lined up on one side, an army lined up on the other. In the middle is a great valley. 1 Samuel 17, verse 4 is where we'll start. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. We'll talk about that in a minute. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. We'll talk about that in a minute, too. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. We won't talk about that because I have no idea what greaves are, okay? So I'll just be honest. I didn't look it up this week. Bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. We'll talk about that in a minute. He has shield bearer went ahead of him. Okay, so here comes Goliath, all right? He comes out of the Philistine camp, and he walks onto the battlefield. He is a huge, beastly sort of man. Well, how big is he? I thought we might have problems visualizing this, so our creative arts team made a mock-up for us this week, okay? And so thank you guys in the band for bringing this out. This is Goliath. Scripture tells us that he is six cubits and a span high. So I did the math this week. Six cubits and a span is nine feet, nine inches. 
Now, I know some of you in the back of the room may not be able to see this, but what you don't know is I'm standing, I'm six feet, exactly, uh, six one with the hair, okay? I'm standing on a 15-inch platform. So I'm standing here, and the top of my head at six feet is about seven foot three. So I'm Rick Smits, okay, on this platform, and this is Goliath. This is my friend Goliath. I'm just going to step down here so you can see this, get a sense of scale. I'm six feet tall. I'm a pretty normal-sized guy, right? He's pretty big, isn't he? Nine feet, nine inches is bigger than I thought. You should have seen how big it was when I was trying to jam it into my wife's car last night. (laughs) Goliath is nine foot, nine inches tall. He could go first pick in the NBA draft or the NFL draft. You take your pick. I mean, this is how big he is, okay? His armor, his armor alone weighs 125 pounds. His armor weighs a person, all right? His armor is 125 pounds. He carries a spear, and the point of his spear is 15 pounds. I mean, that's a big dude, right? That is a big guy. He is a warrior among warriors. And on this day, he comes strolling out to taunt the Israelites. And so if you go to verse 8, it says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will be our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistine said, this day, I defy the armies of Israel. Give us a man and let us fight each other. Now, the word defy literally means to blaspheme or to pour out obscenities. Okay. And so he says, choose a man and let's fight each other. Now, in this day, it wouldn't have been uncommon uh, for armies to fight this way. I mean, if you think about it, as you read through the story, you've probably noticed there are a lot of battles in the Old Testament, right? There's a lot of fighting going on. And if every army was involved in every battle, well, as you can imagine, the, the nation would soon be decimated. And so it wasn't unusual for the armies to pick one-on-one, do mano e mano, okay? One man against one man. And the winner of that one-on-one battle is the army that wins. And so what Goliath is suggesting wouldn't have been out of the ordinary, okay? But, but there's one problem uh, for the Israelites. They've got the number one draft pick, right? They've got Goliath and he's nine foot nine and he's got a potty mouth. Okay, that's what we've learned. And so here's this guy. He's pretty intimidating as it is. And then when he opens his mouth, we probably know people like this. Everything that comes out is not good. Okay, verse 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now that word dismayed means broken. Okay, the Israelites were broken. Their spirits were broken by seeing this huge man on the battlefield and hearing the words that come out of his mouth. Now, the irony for Israel is that they are led by King Saul. Now, if you remember what we talked about King Saul last week, King Saul was a kingly looking man. He was a head taller than everybody else. So if you can imagine if he's a head taller than I am, he's six foot nine, which means he comes up to his elbow, right? Well, and, and, and the, uh, the men of Israel weren't necessarily as big as Saul. Now, Saul is supposed to be the strong and valiant warrior, um, and he's got some of the very best soldiers around him. So it's not like they hadn't defeated the Philistines before. When we talked about Samuel and Saul last week, we know that, that Samuel helped defeat the Philistines before. Uh, but today is different, because today the Philistines brought this guy. For King Saul and all the people of Israel, one look and they think, there's no way. We can defeat a giant like that. There's no way. He's just, he's just too big. They're just overwhelmed at the thought of certain defeat, of humiliation, and, and even death. Now, here's the truth. In your life, in our lives, you're going to face a problem. 
You're going to face a challenge. You're going to face a situation that's so big, you think there's no way I can overcome this. I mean, it's, it's, it's the thing that intimidates you. It's the thing that scares you to death. It's the, the first thought you have when you wake up in the morning. It's the last thing you think before you doze off at night. It's the, it's the one thing you don't even want to talk about because you're so certain that you can't defeat it. And it's the one thing that you've tried to fight in your life over and over and over again. But it keeps coming back. You know, it might be that addiction to painkillers or to alcohol. I mean, you've tried to defeat it, but you can't. You've given up. You see no hope. Maybe it's something like pornography. You've decided to quit looking like a hundred times. But the allure is so strong and you just keep coming back and you've just decided to live with it. It's just part of who you are. Maybe it's the marriage you're in right now. You know, you've come to terms with the fact that this is the way it's always going to be. He's never going to change or she's never going to be the way she was when we first met. You know, you'll stay together for the kids. Okay, but but the chance of love coming back, you just don't see it happening. You know, whatever it is, you don't see a way out. And for some of us, the very thing that used to scare us so much, we don't even notice anymore. And it's just become part of who we are. It's just become part of the landscape. So what is that for you? And when you think about that giant in your life, what is it for you? Well, in the case of the Israelites, they faced a very real, very strong, very formidable giant by the name of Goliath. You know, and for 40 days straight, every day, Goliath would come out of the camp and he would shout obscenities at the people of Israel, line up in the battle lines. And the men in the Israelite army, well, they hid. They were paralyzed with fear at the thought of facing a giant like Goliath. You know, they may have looked like soldiers. They were dressed like soldiers. They were equipped like soldiers, but they hid like little boys. Well, for you, you might make it look and sound like you're ready for battle. I mean, maybe you're a big talker uh, when, when your problem bubbles to the surface. But once it really comes up and rears its head, you're going to run and hide. You know, and, and, but today, I think today, for you can be the day that all that changes. And not because you're so strong and not because you're going to try harder or you're just going to do better, but, but by the power of God and the faith in the one who is able to overcome anything and everything in your life, today can be that day that it all changes for you. And today was that day for Israel. Because it's at this point of the story where a teenage boy by the name of David enters. Now, if you know the story of David at all, uh, David was the baby in the family. He was the runt. Okay, his his father was a guy by the name of Jesse. And when Samuel, when God told Samuel to go find a new king from the family of Jesse, uh, David was an afterthought. In fact, uh, Samuel, God had told Samuel that uh, the new king would be one of the sons of Jesse. And so he went to visit Jesse and Jesse paraded out his oldest son first and then six of his sons. And and time after time, God told Samuel that, no, this isn't the guy. And so at the end, Samuel was like, well, don't you have anybody else? And Jesse's like, well, there is the one, but he's the runt. He's out in the field. He's he's working the sheep. I'll bring him. And and that was David. And that was the guy that Samuel anointed. Well, so David was the runt. While three of his brothers, his older brothers, are off fighting, uh, fighting, quote, (laughs) this battle in the Valley of Elah, um, Jesse gets a little concerned. 
And, and so he gives David a care package, and he says, David, I want you to take this. There's some bread and some cheese. You know, he's going to take some grilled cheese sandwiches to his brother uh, fighting the battle in the Valley of Elah. So he packs it up. He packs up this thing, and David's just excited to get away from the sheep for a while. He wants to change the scenery, and he's going to get a, close to see the battle. So Jesse says, hey, go take this package to him. Take him the bread. Take him the cheese. Tell me how the battle's coming, and come back. Report on how the battle's going. And so David was excited, even though he's just bringing cheese. You know, at least it's his chance to get in the game. And so he takes off for Elah, and he arrives about the time that the armies are lining up for their daily taunting. You know, and it's at this point of the story when I think we can really find out something about facing giants. Okay, David's going to give us a strategy through this for facing our own Goliaths. And the first thing we see comes out of verse 23. If you skip down to 1723, 1 Samuel 1723. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now, this is day 41. So he's been doing this for 40 days. This is day 41. These daily taunts and attacks by Goliath have been going on for over a month. Now, when the Israelites heard from Goliath, we know that they ran in fear. Well, what did David do? David ignored them. All right. He heard the insults and attacks. Yes, he heard them, but he knew they were hollow because he knew that God was on his side. He knew that God was for him. Did you know that God's on your side too? I mean, did you know that God is for you? That he created you? That he's crazy about you? Yes, you. He is for you. And he can help you defeat anything that's standing in the way of the life he has for you. Well, how can that happen? Well, I think as we're going to see from David, there are three things we need to do. And these are in your worship program, in your notes, if you want to follow along, you can do that. Number one is this. This is what David did. He identified the lies. You need to identify the lies. Okay, and so you need to identify the lies that you're hearing in your life and recognize those lies for exactly what they are. They're lies. I mean, you've got a a giant in your life, right? And, And if it's a giant like most giants, he's full of lies. One of the greatest ways to identify a lie then is to be well versed in the truth. You've got to know the truth. So you need to embrace the truth. When you know the truth, it's more easy to distinguish the truth from lies. And so where can you find truth? Well, the truth comes from God. I mean, you find it in his word. You find it through prayer. You find it through uh, study with, with other believers. You find it through community with other people. And look at David's response to the lies. If you skip down to verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's mad. He sees the lies for what they are, and he, is, uh, he, is, he has a burden for his army, for his brothers, for his nation. He says, who is this guy? And he says, because he's not just taunting us, okay? Does he realize who he's up against? Does he realize who our God is? That's what David is saying. And so here's the question for you today. What, what lies are you believing in your life? You know, maybe the lie for you is, you know, my spouse will never share my faith in God. I'm going to tell you the truth is that God can change any heart and any life. We've seen it time after time. Maybe the lie is, I I can't overcome this addiction. It's too strong. Well, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Maybe the lie is, you know what? You're all alone. No one else struggles with that. No one's going to understand you. If you come out with that, uh, nobody's going to be there for you. 
Well, Scripture tells us that God will never leave you, never forsake you. There's never been a day in your life where God was far from you. Maybe the lie for you is this. You know what? The world's falling apart. It's a dangerous place now. Something's going to happen to you. Something's going to happen to your kids. You should just build a bubble and stay home. Don't take a risk. Lies. They're all lies just designed to incite fear. Maybe your lie that you're hearing is, I I can't accomplish that thing. I can't do that task. I can't finish. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. It's a lie. It's a lie coming from your giant. Maybe the lie is, if I talk about Jesus with my friends, they're they're not going to understand. They're just going to laugh at me. They'll think I'm some kind of freak. But the truth is that people are attracted to people that have strong values and strong beliefs. These voices you're hearing, they're all lies. The Bible says that you have an enemy that's a deceiver. That, that Satan is the father of lies. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the truth is that our God is greater than anything. He can overcome anything and everything in your life. It's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and for me. To take the punishment that we deserved so that we could have life. And we could have abundant life. It's a promise of God. And if you don't know that life today... If you're here and and you're not a Christian, I'd love to talk to you after the service about that because that is a decision that will change your life forever. The truth is when God looks down on us as his children, he he doesn't see your sin and imperfections. He doesn't see your weaknesses. He doesn't see where you've messed up. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ in you. The truth is for you and for me means that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, the all-powerful God, All the rights and privileges of being a child of God belong to you. That's the truth. And so that's why you need to identify the lies in your life. When you do, you can call them out as lies so you can distinguish them from the truth. Look at what David does, okay? He he hears the taunts of Goliath, and it's obvious to everyone around him that this teenage boy is offended by what's going on. And David quickly discovers that no one from Israel's camp, no one, is willing to take on Goliath. And so look what David says to King Saul in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David says, nobody else is going to do it. I'll do it. The shepherd boy will do it. The guy who's bringing the cheese, let him do it. All right. David's ready to roll. If nobody else is going to take on Goliath, he will. You know, maybe in your life, you look at your giant and you're gung-ho like that too. but, But be ready. Because here's the thing. When you decide to take on and fight your giant, it leads us to another piece of strategy that we're going to do well to remember, okay? That's this. Number two is this. Consider your influences. Consider your influences. Look at who's speaking into your life, okay? Because right after David goes to King Saul and says, I will fight him. (laughs) Look at what this so-called brave warrior king of Israel says in verse 33. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. You know, Saul's saying, he's got swords older than you are. I mean, this is a mighty warrior. He is a warrior among warriors. He's bigger than you. He's stronger than you. He's older than you. He's more experienced than you. You are going to die. Now, here's why this is important that we consider our influences, okay? Whether you realize it or not, some of you have so-called friends in your life. Or or maybe it's your parents, or maybe even a spouse that doesn't share the same faith as you. And more than you realize, it's their ongoing negativity that's influencing you. It's influencing the decisions you're making. It's influencing your willingness or unwillingness to believe. I mean, some of you right now can hear what they'll say to you when you go to take on your giant. You'll hear them say things like, you can't do this. You can't beat that. You can't defeat that. It's, It's part of who you are. 
You know what? That's been in our family for a long time. Your grandfather was like that. Your father was like that. You're just going to be like that too. Don't, don't even bother. Their words will eat away at your confidence in Christ and in God. And if it's someone you love, if it's someone you're married to, I know that makes it really difficult. And and believe me, I'm not saying that you should cut ties with those people or getting them out of your life completely. But but just as we need to identify those lies that we believe sometimes, we need to at least be mindful of the people around us and who we're letting speak into our lives and what influence we're allowing people to have over us. I mean, it's why it's so important to have the right people around you, to have wise friends around you, to have the right support. It's one of the reasons that we believe getting involved in a community like Genesis matters. It's one of the reasons that we talk about connection groups so much and being in a group of people who aren't perfect because none of us are perfect, but are looking to live their life in a way that follows God, honors God. You know, it matters for things like accountability, like prayer, where people can walk through the ups and downs of life with you. We all need people who can help us identify the truth so that we can sort out the lies. Now, right after David heard these discouraging words from Saul, he started remembering times in his life when he was out watching the sheep. And, and, And there would be a lion that would wander into the pasture or a bear that would wander into the pasture. And David would kill them with his bare hands. I mean, how God, he kept remembering time after time again, how God showed up on his behalf, even when he was just out tending the sheep. And he tells Saul this in verse 37. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David says, hey, God's done it before in my life. He can do it again. He'll do it again right now. And this is the importance of looking back to see what God's done in your life. Because the truth is, if you're in a battle right now and you're not a Christian, you're kind of on your own. Uh, You're counting on your wisdom and your strength and your experience and your know-how to get you out of that. But, But if you're following God, he's been preparing you for this. Okay, you, you, if, if, if you're counting on your wisdom and your strength and your know-how, if you're following God, you're counting on his wisdom and his strength and your know-how. And you'll look back on your life and you'll see all along the way things that have happened to you that God's been using to get you ready for this battle. Things that you went through that you're not even sure why that God's been using to prepare you. And someday, on the other side of victory, you're going to look back and go, oh, that's why I had to go through that. That's why I had to face that thing. That's why that was so hard for me. That's why I had to endure that. Because, but to do that, you've got to do this. You've got to remember God's work in your life. Remember God's work in your life. You know, one of the battles I fight happens almost every Sunday morning before I walk on this stage. See, on Saturday night, what happens is I'll go to bed, and I'm usually really, really excited to come and preach on Sunday morning. And in fact, some nights, if, if I really feel like I've got a great message prepared, I, I won't even be able to sleep on Saturday night. I'll be so excited. But then Sunday morning rolls around and I start to get nervous, okay? And these thoughts start to enter my head. Do I, do I really have anything that people want to hear? You know, did I work hard enough on this message? Did, haven't we talked about this before? Is this just going to be repetitive for people? You know, I, I wish I knew what I wanted to say a little better. Maybe I should, you know, stay up and cram all night. You know, these little doubts start rolling in. And what you may not know is that our team... Uh, that prepares this service, meets together every Sunday at 10 a.m. Like before the service, our band, our tech team in the back, and me and any of the communicators that are up on stage, we get back there and we go over the service. And in and, and many, many mornings, I hear this voice, the voice of God during that time saying, Steve, you just get out of the way and let me handle this. I, I, I've prepared you for this. I've given you the message. 
Your whole life, I've been preparing you to do this. You just got to do your part and let me do the rest. Now, whether you realize it or not, you've got the work of God written all over your life too. He's been there all along the way. Now, that's not saying that all of us don't wander off course sometimes. You know, when when we sin and we rebel, we're we're forced to live with the consequences of that sin. God doesn't protect us from that. But but God's still there, and he's still working in our lives. He, he, He loves to bring us back. He loves to forgive us. And so consider the influences in your life. Get around the right people. And most importantly, make sure you are hearing and applying the truth of God in your life. All right, next part of the story. This is the part that everybody knows. This is where David and Goliath face off. Now picture it with me, if you would. All right, the two fighters are in the valley. The valley quickly turns into a stadium of sorts, okay, with the battle lines on either side looking down on this battle scene. You know, David walks up to Goliath, who's covered head to toe in armor designed for a man who's nine feet, nine inches tall. He's got a javelin, a spear, a sword, and a shield. He is a warrior among warriors. And here's David. A short, zit-faced, peach fuzz not shaven, Doritos-eaten, Xbox-playing teenage boy. And he's got a piece of leather and five stones. That's his, that's his weapon. A colossal mismatch. A David and Goliath story. Verse 43, Goliath says to David, Am I a dog that you come with me with sticks? And the Philistines cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. Goliath's not impressed. He's not intimidated at all. And David, come on. He's got every reason to run. He's got every reason to hide behind the battle lines. He might as well drop off his care package and let his brother deal with his problem. He, David shouldn't even be fighting. He was bringing cheese. Like, if his dad knew what he was getting ready to do, he would be in so much trouble. Are you kidding me? But at the height of this face-to-face encounter is where we learn our next strategy for taking on giants. We've got to learn to do what David did, and it's this. Don't focus on your giant. Focus on God. Don't focus on your giant, focus on God. Understand the weight and the importance of this, okay? I'm going to preacherize this for you, okay? Because if I was an old-time, you know, Bible-thumping, podium-pounding preacher, I would say this. (laughs) I don't know if I can do this with a straight face. (laughs) Stop telling God how big Goliath is and start telling Goliath how big your God is. But I'm from Indiana, and we're quiet preachers, so I'm not going to say it like that. I'm just going to say, don't focus on your giant, focus on God. David has no armor. He's standing out in the field face to face or let's say face to waist with Goliath, right? He's got a sling and five stones. That's all he's got. And if I'm standing in the crowd watching this day, I'm going to be like, I can't even look. I'm not going to watch this. This is going to be bad. You know, he can't do that. You know, the entire Israelite army is looking down and going, what, what is he doing? He can't. His brothers, his brothers are looking down on him going, what an idiot. What's he trying to prove? He, he can't do this. And Goliath's up there thinking, what a joke. He's not even worth my time. He he can't do this. There's no way. This is what happens to so many of us when it comes to facing the giants in our lives too. We we feel so overwhelmed. We get it. Listing all the reasons why we can't win. And look how big he is. He's huge. Look at my giant. I can't win in this marriage. It's not worth it. It's going to turn out just like my parents' marriage. 
You know, I'm so far in debt. You know, I wouldn't blame myself if I just quit. I messed up once, but that's, and that's one thing. But a second time, a third time, a fourth time, come on. Seriously, how many, how many times can I be forgiven for that? Now, I've been to counseling and support groups. You know, it helps for a while, but only to be defeated. I, I can't. He's just too big. What's the common problem? It's misplaced focus. We're, we're focused on the giant. When we're focused on the giant, all we see is the giant. And when all we see is the giant, well, you're right. It can't be defeated. There's no way you can defeat a giant like that on your own. That's why it's so important to hear what David heard and to see what David saw. David understood what mattered. You know, for David, it's not about a giant or even about a sling and hopes for a well-placed stone. David's focus is not on the giant. His focus is on God. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And this very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And that's exactly what happened. You know the battle, you know the story. One stone to the head of Goliath falls down. David comes and cuts off his head with a sword. When I was in junior high, we used to have this phrase when we'd talk about fighting, we'd say, This fight's going to be two hits me hitting you and you hitting the ground. That's what this was. David hitting Goliath, Goliath hitting the ground. Fight over. It's history. And all throughout history, all throughout time, no matter how many times you've heard this story, I think we viewed this story all wrong. I know I viewed it all wrong. It's not David versus Goliath. Okay, despite what any sports commentator might say, it's not David versus Goliath. It's God versus Goliath. And that is a colossal mismatch. And if you've spent a lot of time fighting your giant, maybe you got the story wrong too. I mean, it might be time for you to give up on that fighting for yourself and let the God of the universe fight for you. But if you're going to do that, you've got to identify the lies. And Satan's behind your giant. He's the father of lies. And when you can identify the lies, you can replace those with truth in your life. You've got to consider your influences. Get around the right people and the right influences. And most importantly, look back on your life and see the handwriting of God all over your life. And number three is this. Don't focus on your giant. Get your eyes on God Almighty. He is greater than we realize. He can overcome anything and everything in your life if you will trust him and lean on him and wait on him. His grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in your weakness, and he is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you this morning for that truth. I'm so thankful that when we go up against a giant in our life, no matter what it might be, God, and we all have one, we all know him in our heads, we've all seen him, we've all tried to fight him, just to know that you are fighting for us, that you are on our side, and it's not us versus the giant, that it's you versus our giant. And if we can keep our eyes focused on that. It's a much easier battle. It's two hits. You hitting the giant and the giant hitting the ground. And God, I just thank you for that truth. I thank you that you are on our side, that you are working for us, that if we will follow you, if we will commit to to be with you, to, to walk with you, to worship you, God, that you're on our side, that you'll fight that battle for us. And Lord, I, I just... I'm convicted today that as I stand here and, and, and pray over this group of people that's here in a room this size, I know there's a lot of people fighting a giant in their life. 
they're, they're fighting something that they can't overcome. They've tried time and time again, and they've got it in their heads. But I, I want to pray for them right now. And, and so if you're here today, and if you've got a giant, if something came to your mind as soon as I said that, and you're thinking about what that giant is right now, I want to pray that God will help you defeat it. We just raise your hand right now? I want to pray for that. Thank you for all those hands. Lord God Almighty, our Heavenly Father, I just lift up all of these battles to you that are going on in our lives. I lift up all of these people that are so brave to hold up their hand and say, God, I want to get rid of this giant in my life, but I can't do it on my own. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I want you to come in and fight this battle for me. Lord, I pray that you would do that, that you would send your Holy Spirit to fight these battles, that you would take out these giants in our lives. God, would you help us to, to, to get closer to a life of the life that you've designed for us, the life that you have planned for us, the life that doesn't involve standing face to face with a giant. Lord, I just thank you so much for the story and I thank you for the, the insight that you revealed to us today. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.